When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. My guest this week is American attorney and special master of the September 11th Victim Compensation Fund, Ken Feinberg. Ken, thank you very much for coming on the show. Glad to be here. Now, one of the most profound aspects of the 9-11 terror attacks is that the day started just like any other. What, what was September the 11th like for you? September 11th was one of the most traumatic, hmm. horrific days in American history. I think hmm. the 9-11 attacks in terms of American history and impact, rivaled only by the American Civil War, the uh, attack on Pearl Harbor, and the assassination of President Kennedy. Uh, the 9-11 attacks were something very, very traumatic and special in American history. And when, when you first saw the, the news reports and the, the footage of what had happened to the World Trade Center and the, the plane going into the Pentagon, what went through your mind when you first saw those images? First, I thought an accident. Hmm. I thought a plane and a pilot had uh, accidentally gone off course and hit the World Trade Center. Hmm. When the second plane hit, you knew this was a terror attack, and you knew that America had to brace itself for what it was going to be up against. And you, you were appointed by the United States Attorney General to lead on the September 11th Victims' Compensation Fund as a special master. Now, for listeners who are in the UK and don't know what a special master is, could you explain what that role was? A special master is a legal term. You're an administrator. You're a, um, a director. Um, in, in, the, in the language of the statute creating the fund, a special master was the person who would design and administer the fund. And when, when you were administering the fund, as, as you say, some, something that you have to take into account is sort of what an individual's life is worth. And you go into much greater detail about this particular aspect in your book called What is Life Worth? But what are the main formulaic factors that go into making that assessment? One, what would the victim have earned income over a work life but for the attack? Second, some amount for pain and suffering, emotional distress. That's it. Courts every day in England, in the United States, any common law country, courts consider 
the economic value lost by the tragedy. So a stockbroker, a banker, will receive more value than a waiter, a busboy, a cop, a fireman, a soldier. They earn more, they earn less. Very, very important in American law. And when, when assessing a life, I mean, of course, you, you mentioned there these certain aspects like uh, salary and uh, uh, things like that. And, and it's very easy to stray into the territory of philosophy when assessing what, what a, a human life is, is worth in terms of the human nature, contribution to society. And in particular, in America, as the Declaration of Independence suggests, that the life, liberty and pursuit of happiness for an individual how do you divorce that from your thinking and ensure that decision-making is more empirical? Very, very difficult. Hmm. In, American, in the American legal system, ec- um, emotional distress and pain and suffering are used as sort of a substitute hmm. for love, loyalty, dignity, courage, bravery, etc. In the 9-11 fund, the calculation of economic loss and pain and suffering, that that was not that difficult. It's not rocket science. The difficult part in the 9-11 fund was the emotion, the emotion, the anger and frustration of survivors, families, and loved ones. That emotional component was horrifying, was extremely challenging to me and um, proved to be the key to the success of the fund, how we dealt with that. And, and you mentioned that the, the, the palpable sense of anger that so many of the families of the victims and the survivors had. Was anger the overriding emotion from the families of the victims or were there other things such as sadness in there and just despair as well? What, what was that overriding emotion that was the consensus throughout all those families you spoke to? Frustration. Hmm. Frustration. Mr. Feinberg, I lost my husband at the World Trade Center. Why? He left after breakfast, I never, uh, she left after breakfast, I never saw her again. I lost my son. Why? He was an angel. He was off to work. I never saw him again. I mean, frustration at life's unfairness breeds anger, contempt, disappointment, uncertainty, that was the uh, emotional overhang of the entire fund. What, what was the hardest part about working on this particular project and designing and implementing this compensation fund? Convincing family members of our empathy, hmm. of our sensitivity, and trying to convince injured victims and family members to voluntarily enter the program, receive compensation, and don't go to court. And with with this, you were given a list of instructions from Congress on how to award compensation to the families. But as with anything in in life, there would have been people and families who naturally would have been exceptions to the rules that you were given. So how do you make allowances 
for the people who fit outside of those parameters given to you? Congress, in its wisdom, delegated great discretion to me to adjust the formula in appropriate cases to take into account unique circumstances that justify the exercise of my discretion in a manner modifying the formulas. And with, with that, do you, of, of course, you mentioned the, the discretion there and the, one of the hardest parts being actually convincing people to come onto the, the program. And with, with the program, there needed to be a certain threshold met for the uh, fund to go ahead and be paid out. So did anyone sign up to the fund just for the sake of enabling it to proceed for the other families, but actually refused to take money uh, from, from the overall fund? And if so, why was that? 97% of all the families voluntarily entered the program. They didn't have to. Only 94 family members opted out and went to court instead. Um, and I think as family members, as more and more of the families entered the fund, I think that gave support and convinced other families, yes, it appears that the fund is, is working well and is generous and we will enter. So I think there was a gradual proliferation of claims that slowly grew until the, uh, till the very end of the program. And with, with those 94 families who decided not to enter the program, what, what do you think they were hoping to gain from taking it to court rather than joining the program? They told me either one, we're going to go to court because we want to make the airline safer. Mm -hmm. So this won't happen again. And the best way to make them safer is to deter negligence and wrongdoing through a lawsuit. I told those families, well, if you want to do that, go ahead. I don't think your lawsuit's going to make the airlines any safer. And even if lawsuits will make the airlines safer, why you? There's 93 other families that are going to do that. You don't have to. It's piling on. It's cumulative. Or families said, no, we're going to file a lawsuit. It's the only way that we'll find out what really happened on 9-11 and who was responsible. Mm -hmm. I said, no, that's not right. You won't find out that in a lawsuit. There's a commission established by Congress to look into this. There are separate committees looking into this in the U.S. Senate. And in the U.S. House of Representatives, that's where you'll get answers as to what happened. And um, that's why only 3% of the families decided to sue. And unfortunately, when you have an, an event like this, there, there are those who try to exploit the systems in place that are set to compensate bereaved families. How do you monitor potentially fraudulent applications to a program like this? There weren't any really fraudulent yeah. applications here. First of all, remember, this was a traumatic event. Mm, of course. Those on the airlines who died, we had the airline manifests. Mm. At the Pentagon, we had the military records. And New York City, we had the police certificates of death. No, in a traumatic, contained, horrible, but contained um disaster like 9-11, we didn't have much trouble determining eligibility. 
And um, there may have been one or two, a handful of suspicious claims. We just gave those claims and transmitted them to the police department. Mm. But I don't think fraud was ever a big issue. And in addition to your work on the the 9-11 fund, you've also worked on some of the biggest disasters the U.S. has seen ever since, such as the the BP Deepwater Horizon oil spill and the Boston Marathon bombings. Does the type of event impact the decision making in awarding compensation or is it quite a universal formula? The universal formula, the universal common denominator is emotion, Mm -hmm. anger. But but. The, the design and administration of a fund may vary depending on the amount of money that's available, the number of victims, uh, their death claims like 9-11 or primarily business interruption losses like in BP oil spill. So I mean, there are variables that have to be looked at in deciding how to design and administer a compensation. And when you were working on, on the in particular, the 9-11 uh, compensation fund, as, as a Democrat as you are, did, did you ever find yourself in tension with any of the Republican lawmakers when negotiating a budget for this? Or was this an issue where there was just total bipartisan support for this? Total bipartisan support. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the drafting of the legislation, Republicans and Democrats may have tinkered with or modified the legislation, the statute. Once that statute was enacted into law by President Bush, the program was entirely bipartisan and apolitical. I mean, you look at the 9-11 fund in contrast 20 years later, and you wonder and are skeptical as to whether a 9-11 type fund could ever be enacted today in light of cultural and political differences. I'd like to move away slightly from looking at the, the 9-11 fund and look a little bit into some, some of your work. And before move, moving into private law practice, you were chief of staff to uh, Senator Ted Kennedy, the younger brother of uh, President John F. Kennedy. What, what was it like working with a member of the Kennedy family who were such political heavyweights in America? Uh, Senator, it was the greatest job I ever held. Senator Kennedy uh, is an extraordinary historical figure. Mm. Senator Kennedy served in the U.S. Senate for something like 45 years Mm. and um, is considered today to be one of a handful of the greatest senators in the history of our nation. And he was, um, because of... uh, an aspect of his career that his brothers didn't have, longevity, he accomplished an extraordinary amount. Best job I ever had. So if that is the case, how did you end up working in this particular line of work in in disaster management and compensation management and working on the funds after these truly horrendous events? In 1984, Um, I got a call from a judge in New York, Judge Weinstein, who I knew. We knew each other. And Judge Weinstein asked me to establish, mediate a settlement and establish a compensation fund for Vietnam veterans Mm -hmm. who were exposed to the herbicide Agent Orange. 
while serving in Vietnam, now claiming injuries and deaths. Well, when we settled that case and developed and designed a compensation program, that was it. I then started getting call after call after inquiry after inquiry about establishing another compensation fund or settling another case, um, dealing with asbestos or dealing with the pharmaceutical products or medical devices. And it just morphed into a area of law and work that I never contemplated, but it became uh, my professional um, priority after that. Mm -hmm. I'd like to move on slightly and ask you about the new Netflix film that has just come out, Worth, which is about your work on the the, the 9-11 fund with the US government. What was it like seeing yourself being played by Michael Keaton? Batman. (laughs) Um, um, I uh, must say it was surreal. Mm. I never thought, by the way, when I wrote the book about the 9-11 fund, what is life worth? What is life worth? I never thought that my book could be transposed to a movie. And for 10 years, the book rights to a movie remained in limbo. And then in 2017, 10 years after the book rights were sold, this movie comes uh, gets made with Michael Keaton, Stanley Tucci, Amy Ryan. Um, very, very um, surprising. How much inputs did you have in the making of the film? Well, I um, was on the set in New York while they were filming. And I met privately with Michael Keaton for a few hours while he sort of developed his mannerisms and his accent. I had some input, but uh, actually the director, Sarah Colangelo and the screenwriter, Max Borenstein, they basically did their own thing. I had no right to sign off on the film or anything like that. And and the film shows you uh, keeping yourself uh, fairly detached from a number of the discussions with the the victim's families at the start of the compensation proceedings. And to some extent, it shows almost a a sense of being unsympathetic with with some cases. How accurate do you think that that particular depiction was? And what was the turning point for you in making it the, the, the discussions were more about people rather than numbers? Well, let's just say that the uh, movie director and the actors took a certain degree of dramatic license Mm. in order to make the movie more effective. Mm -hmm. But I will agree Mm -hmm. that the empathy and sensitivity that I show in the movie over time, I think that that empathy occurred earlier in the life of the fund, but there's a certain truth to that. And And I think that um, um, once we realized the magnitude of the horror and how so many thousands of people were um, implicated in this, um, I think it did increase our empathy and sensitivity. When the attacks happened, from a personal perspective, I was only three months old when it happened. So naturally, I I don't have any memory of the event. But when watching films like Worth or other documentaries about 9-11, and uh, I I speak to my parents about this, and they remember the events like it was yesterday, just because it was such a horrendous event 
that's happened and people always remember where they were when when it's happened what what do you think young people who primarily learn about it from a historical context should take away from learning about 9-11 that's a very very good question and I can tell you what I think young people should take away from Worth and the 9-11 Fund. Mm -hmm. As you have pointed out in this interview, back in 2001, the country spoke with one voice with the fund. It was one community nationwide. And um, um, there were no red states, blue states, Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives. It was one nation coming together to rally in support of the victims and the fund. I think young people who today see such cultural and political divisiveness should see how government could work back then in a very effective way to help those who were innocent victims there but for fortune. And, um, I hope the lesson one draws is that government is not a dirty word, that serving the public interest is a noble undertaking, that every individual can make a difference. And uh, that's the lesson, I think, from 9-11, the 9-11. And just to conclude, the, the film shows you spending a lot of time listening to opera and classical music. What's your favorite piece of music? Oh, that's a question. We'd need a whole seminar on that. <laughs> I think uh, uh, opera mm -hmm. and the, the great operatic works of Verdi and Wagner and Strauss and Puccini, those are the, um, the that, that's a tremendous opera diversity and selection that is the bedrock of what I listen to. Mm -hmm. Although you're in England, yep. and I very much enjoy the operas of Benjamin Britten. Mm -hmm. Benjamin Britten was a first-rate, great 20th century composer. Billy Peter Grimes and Billy Budd, those are great operas. Ken Feinberg, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. I hope this was useful and I appreciate it. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.